Welcome back to another episode of City Hall Pass. I'm Kapel Langani, counsel to the mayor of New York City. We created this forum, the first of its kind in New York City, to give you, the public, a unique window into the highest levels of our city government. We interview New York City's finest public servants and get them to open up in a way that is both deeply personal and insightful. And on its best days, we hope that our podcast is equal parts educational and inspiring. And now I want to introduce my two co-hosts today, two brilliant women who inspire me every day, Best Chu and Kate Coughlin. Thanks, Capel. Happy to be here. This is Best Chu. I'm currently Chief of Staff to the Office of the Council to the Mayor. Hi, I'm Kate Coughlin, and I currently serve as Deputy Counsel for the Office of the Council to the Mayor. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to introduce our guest for this episode, the former Deputy Mayor of Housing and Economic Development, Alicia Glenn. Alicia served as Deputy Mayor from 2014 to 2019, spearheading the administration's efforts to diversify its economy, invest in emerging industries, build a new generation of affordable housing, and expand access to arts, culture, and green spaces. She successfully implemented Housing New York, increasing the administration's promise of providing affordable housing units from 200000 to 300,000. In both 2017 and 2018, New York City broke the record for the most affordable units financed in a single year. One of her proudest achievements was the launch of the New York City Ferry, linking emerging job centers and residential neighborhoods along the city's reclaimed waterfront. She also started Women NYC, the first municipally sponsored platform that gave women the financial and programmatic tools they need to earn money, gain power, and achieve success. Before being appointed deputy mayor, Alicia was head of Urban Investment Group at Goldman Sachs, and from 1998 through 2002, Alicia served as the Assistant Commissioner for Housing Finance for New York City. Alicia is now the founder and managing principal of M Squared and is a nationally recognized expert in impact investing, urban development, infrastructure finance, and housing policy. We spoke with Alicia about her effective and innovative tenure as deputy mayor, her approach to leadership and management, tips on how to thrive as a woman in a male-dominated industry, and much more. We hope you enjoy this episode. I want to welcome our next guest to City Hall Pass, the former Deputy Mayor for Housing and Economic Development, Alicia Glenn. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Alicia, you were born and raised on the Upper West Side. How has growing up in New York influenced your career path? And did you always want to serve the city? Was that always going to be inevitable in your career? Yes, 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 and yes. I would say everything kind of stems from where I was born, the kind of family I was raised in, which was, you know, a truly Upper West Side, progressive, liberal, dedicated bunch of folks who really thought that the highest best use of anybody's brain was to work for both cities and for people who don't have a seat at the table. And how do we think about building better cities? And how do we think about making sure that poor people and women and minorities don't get screwed all the time? And how do we build a better city? And that was sort of, I I actually thought that's what people did. I didn't even know there were other things. I mean, I think I've said this before. I remember when I went to high school and somebody said their father was an investment banker. I was like, what is that? Like, I, I didn't even understand so well at the time that not everybody was an Upper West Side legal aid lawyer or worked for the city or, you know, that my mom was a judge and sort of a well-known feminist jurisprude. That's what I thought the world was. Your father was corporation counsel to Mayor Koch. What do you remember about that time? You know, I was probably in high school, I guess. And I remember 
thinking, again, that like this was what people did. I mean, you would be a, you know, Yale trained lawyer. And of course, you would be using your brain to go work for the city of New York. Now, as we all know, defending the city or being on the affirmative side of the city can be interesting dinner conversation, right? I mean, I remember being pretty young sitting around um, the dinner table and talking about the census litigation, which I thought was fascinating, the undercount. And Lorna Goodman, who was the head of um, affirmative lit at the time, and why did I care about that? Because she was, of course, from the Bergdorf Goodman family, which was my other great love, was going to Bergdorf. Um, but Lorna and all these people, I mean, I was like, wow, that's so interesting. I must have been like 15 or 16 thinking, of course that's true. Like we're undercounting people and the city of New York are suing the federal government to make sure we get our fair share. Now, this is all in the ethos now, but that's pretty heady stuff when you're a kid in high school. And then on the other side, you know, my father would be like defending the city all the time. And in fact, the Jose P litigation was my father's biggest case. And to this day, you know, this is what drives, you know, all the issues around special needs and in the Department of Education. Long way of saying like this for me was like the totality of the fascination of what it means to be part of a city that touches everybody's lives and ultimately becomes in many respects the leader on these issues nationally and maybe even globally. What about working the levers of government did you learn from your father? You know, my father, less so than my much more brilliant tactical and strategic pair of mothers. <laughs> my father is, um, you know, a super law nerd like you, like super law nerd, like actually reads cases and likes writing briefs and like all this kind of stuff, which I was absolutely terrible at, hated, 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 hated. But my mother, very smart, strategic, tactical, political person, but my stepmother, who really I think of as my co-mother, you know, ran city planning, ran the Urban Development Corporation, ran Roosevelt Island, ran Queens West, you know, was really really in the, and was the executive director of city planning. I mean, really who I am in many respects is a combination of these people, right? And so tactically understanding very early on the levers of government, I was mostly a student of Rosina, my my mom, my stepmom. And like, you know, I knew, we knew how to count votes at the Board of Estimate. We knew how to lean on people. It was transactional and in some ways transactional in the best sense of the word, because sometimes the transactional behavior is where everybody actually gets a piece of the pie, which in my humble opinion, we sort of lost sight of that. Politics has become way too toxic and sort of binary. But I learned a lot and I also learned a lot because Rosanna had been on both sides of this, the sort of state city dynamic mm -hmm. and the unbelievable power because certainly when she was at UDC in Queens West and then the sort of hybrid nature of REAC, how fascinating that was. And I think that gave me a huge advantage when I became deputy mayor because I had been trained in the ninja arts of state city politics. Alicia, you're a lawyer. And that's something that I didn't know walking in, but soon came to realize in our many discussions that you were very different from the other deputy mayors. I think that's in large part because you think like a lawyer, even though you don't practice law. You once said in the context of negotiating that everything is a battle. You have to learn how to take the fight, but ultimately how to make a deal. Do you personally think you're a good negotiator? Yeah. I mean, if I'm not, then I really <laughs> I really need to, to think about what I've said in terms of the strategy. Because I think, I think really good negotiators negotiate from a position of strength. They are well-versed in the underlying subject matter, but also understand that everything at the end of the day, if your job is to advance the ball, you have to be able to compromise. And, you know, it's not just killing your opponent for killing them's sake, right? Which a lot of people sort of 
like or get off on. Yeah. That to Especially me, litigators. Yeah. Love you it. know what? Like that's to me is not, okay. So then what have you got? You, you crush them and then you're still nowhere. Right. And then they're going to appeal anyway. So I think that, yes, I do think that the real, I do think I'm a good negotiator. I think that a lot of people find, and I've been accused of this as being, you know, very tough or very nasty or whatever. It's so sexist. It almost, it almost doesn't even deserve a comment. But I also think, you know, negotiation is a very like human dynamic and you have to have real sort of psycho skills as I call them. Like I, everybody will tell you this in city hall. Like I would just say, I'm done with this. Everybody get in the hole. We called it the hole. You're in the Brooklyn room and nobody's getting out of here until we're done. Now I learned that technique very early on in my career. And I'm telling you, it works. I won't, I can't have it. I can't have these back and forth. You're in the hole and you make it really hot and everybody's unhappy and you go for it and nobody leaves until we're done. And being done to me is like, okay, if I get 75% of what I wanted, I'm a hero, right? But if you're gunning for hundred percent on every deal, like where are you going? You're never going to get anything done. What's the best deal you ever made? It was a package. I mean, I think that the deal, and it was very hard, you know, the major pieces of the housing plan were a, a really extraordinary deal. I mean, it's, I think, you know, the combination of having to negotiate a whole new tax framework required negotiations with the state and with the industry that were very, very interesting and rewarding. And then also simultaneously having to deal with the council and everybody else on all the other pieces of it. So it was really um, a triangulation between Albany, the council, us, and you know, both the real estate industry and the housers. And so for me, that's my sweet spot. I just love that, right? Because then we're all in it, right? And I would have like friends who I worked at legal aid with and also like masters of the universe, right? And that to me is, and if you can come out of that alive and actually have made a fundamental shift in the way housing is developed in New York City, I think that's probably my best deal I did. I may not be the best thing I ever did for the world, but it's definitely the best deal. It sort of brought together all those skills. And that then led to the things that people think of as either good or bad deals like Stye Town or this or that or any individual project, but all of those are individual projects, but actually changing the fundamental blueprint from a statutory point of view and having to get all that together. I mean, that is not for beginners. Can you explain a little bit about the housing plan for those who are unfamiliar with it? Sure. Just real quickly. I mean, it was really a, it was our blueprint of how we were going to really increase the amount of affordable housing, both building new affordable housing and preserving affordable housing and sort of taking it up a notch from all the work that had been done for the past 30 years. Again, not all of this is like sui generis, right? I mean, we all sort of rest on the shoulders of our, of our predecessors. And I, in fact, worked, I worked in the Giuliani administration on housing policy. I mean, housing policy in some ways has always been, in some ways, the least political of politics. But the housing plan was really about changing zoning so that, you know, instead of it being an Optional. It was mandatory when you're building new big communities or big buildings to have affordable housing and really changing the contract with community so the communities could trust you again, um, that you know, it was actually going to be affordable housing no matter what. Changing the tax framework so developers were not getting more than they should, right? Getting the balance of how you structure a deal so that we're not over-subsidizing um, and really thinking about how we use our assets and how we create really interesting financing partnerships. Very comprehensive, really cool, you know, like our little, our tiny homes in the Big Apple project. Mm-hmm. You also embrace Racing ideas and sort of and, and thinking a little bit outside the box. And so, you know, I think I, I think it, I still say it's one of the greatest pieces of work the de Blasio administration has done. And obviously my my successor was was critical. Part of that with me as well. I think it's great. And so, again, you know, a, a balanced housing policy for a city like New York is really critical to our long term success. Sure. So, you know, you spoke about 
going into these negotiations and being called nasty and in terms that, frankly, you were being called because you're a woman. You've worked in very male-dominated fields, in big law, in finance. I mean, before you became deputy mayor, you were managing director at Goldman Sachs. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges you faced being the only woman in the room? Yeah. Um, I think, look, I mean, I, I sometimes I'm called, you know, nasty or abrasive or aggressive, and I can be those things. I think that, and not nasty and abrasive. I mean, sometimes those are deliberate, but I do think that the degree to which people use adjectives like that when they talk about me or the context, that's where it gets like, just like nobody would talk about a guy like that. They'd say like, oh my God, he's so great. He really pushed. Yeah. Wow. He really got it. Boom, boom. Right. So I mean, that's where it is. It's not that Look at any individual woman, and certainly me, can can be aggressive. Like no doubt about that. I think it's the degree to which people use that kind of language in a in a context which is just not appropriate, and that you don't get the opposite, which is, wow, she's really amazing. She went in there and she blew these people out of the water, and that was a good thing, right? So I think it's also that you never get the opposite, which is the praise for having been the person who did it. That's number one. And so for me, I've obviously learned, I guess, some pretty good skills about how to navigate that. But the best revenge, as we know is just changing the whole equation. And every single time I've had any chance in my life to bring in more women and empower more women, that is my mantra. Every single team I've ever built is really about women. They also tend to be incredibly diverse because I'm all about women. Majority of my commissioners, majority, I mean, just who I am. You know, I'm not, you know, there are, it's true, right? There are women who don't spend their life helping women. That's okay. Not everybody has to spend their life helping other women. But to me, that's like the whole ballgame. I mean, when I left Goldman Sachs, I left a female-dominated team on the revenue side. Not easy. Now I think they probably have one or two. Let me tell you something, 15 years ago, that was not the case. And everything I've done, it's part of why I started M Squared. There are no women-run investment and development companies in the United States that are really owned by women and the focus on the space. How can that be? Housing is a women's issue. So to me, this is where, this is how I deal with it. I don't just get mad, I get even. And what I mean by getting even is I want there to be two thirds women in charge of everything. Cause you know what? We gotta make up for all the years we've been screwed. Yeah, making sure that, you know, women have a seat at the table. I remember when, and I think Kate was there too, when you launched Women NYC, can you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to launch that? You know, it was like a combination of being pissed and seeing an opportunity, right? Pissed that, you know, with all of the things that were happening, particularly post-Trump, you know, I was like, there's no, look, there's tons of amazing women's groups and tons of amazing feminist issues and tons of of groups and advocates. But like, I thought it's so weird. Like when I was a kid, now was like a thing. Like my mom had like a now t-shirt and now was like a thing. And there was like these sort of heroic women who had an all-encompassing agenda and it was all based on gender and women. And I was like, who are those people now? Like everything's so chopped up. I remember talking to Cecile Richards about this and, and she was, you know, because she's, her thing was like women's health, right? And then I would talk to like, you know, other people, like my thing is women in venture. And I was like, that's great. But like, who's looking at the whole picture? So I had this fantasy that I like quit my job and like go save now or become the head of now. And I was like, oh my God, there is a head of now. Like, I don't even know what I'm talking about. It did make me think, why don't we get all these women in these diverse industries and these diverse sectors and use our power of convening at least or something. I mean, I'm the most senior woman in city government. That must be worth something. Let's get everybody in room and see if we can try to find something to do. You know, I think it's a mixed bag. I think it's hard, but that was the genesis of the idea, like bringing everybody to the table, because what is so great about New York is that we're not a one company town, right? So it's not just about health. It's not just about the media industry. It's not just about, you know, venture capital. It's about all these things. And so that was the idea. I know that you, as a leader now, you try to bring other women in, but was there anyone who helped you along the way? 
oh, like a myriad people. You know, I think there's always that um, interviewing question people are prompt, like, you know, who was the person who most inspired you or who do you want to have dinner with? You know, like Catherine the Great or like Emily Bronte or Harriet Tubman. You know, for me, it was really has been, you know, it's a village. I mean, to take a, a... you know, sort of overused term. There wasn't like one person that changed my life. And again, you know, I come from, a, in the sense, of a very classic New York family of having, you know, multiple sort of parents. <laughs> um, again, all of which, you know, more or less circled around, you know, the public sector and civil rights and, and justice and um, the built environment. And so all those people were hugely important to me. But I think that, you know, for me, and I think anybody who's really successful, what you try to do is assemble your own personal board of directors that all have different skills and come from different perspectives. Because all too often, leaders are pretty myopic because the advice they're getting doesn't have a diversity of views. And and, and to me, right, if you're really going to be good, you know, it's like when you're in high school and you're like, do you have one best friend or do you have like a posse? And I love my daughters are so funny. They refer to their, their friends as squads. They, have, they each have squads. Mm-hmm. And they would not be able to say, oh, well, this one's my bestie. Or they'd use that term more generically. And so I often think of my life as that way. Like I have a squad. And it ranges from people I've met in the banking world, in the advocacy world. I mean, I'm still friends and we go out for drinks with people. I was a young lawyer at Legal Services. But I also talk to like masters of the universe. And boy, do they have different opinions (laughs) on what is going on in the world. And I just think that's really the key is to be able to assemble. And in each stage of your career, pick somebody up from it. Think of it as like a team, right? Like just because legal services was 25 years ago for me, don't lose that. I advice to everybody is pick somebody up from each inning of your life and then you'll have a pretty good team. When you think about leadership and you think about how to build something, you're a builder. One of the most important things you can do is build loyalty amongst the people who work closest to you. 100%. I mean, people can say whatever they want to say about me and people do tend to concentrate or focus on, I guess, what's more externally visible, I guess you know, demanding and you better be prepared and like, don't come into my office with some harebrained scheme without knowing what you're talking about because <laughs> I'll just rip your head off. Which, and I think those are important things that people, especially in government, you know, I think people think that you don't have a high quality work product and that always makes me crazy. The people think that people who work in government aren't 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 as smart as people in the private sector. First of all, that's not true. And second of all, you know the work product can and should be as good as in any other sector. And I won't have it. I won't listen to Sorry. it. And yes, yeah, so that means I have to rip your head off. And you go crying. And you have to redo the PowerPoint. Okay, this is not child's play. This is a ninety billion dollar enterprise. So I never apologize for expecting people to be prepared and give me their best. But I also, by the same token, there must be a somewhat nice fun side to me because I think the other thing I'm proud of is, and I think most people would say. People who worked in head, we were the funnest, the best, the most team, the most loyal. And you know what? We could spend as much time talking about lipstick colors as we could about the budget. And, you know, for me, at least, team building is all about that balance of demanding people give their best, but you also have to give your best to them. And by the way, that means, like, don't forget it's somebody's birthday, but not even that. It's like, take a walk around the park and let them sob their eyes out because it's all too much and be who you are so that you're not just this sort of person who's scary. Like you have to be a human being. And I think the part of the reason why I have such great teams is that people can't be honest about 
you know, how life and work are so intertwined at the levels that we play in, then you don't get loyalty. And, and, I, and I hope and I think that, you know, in every job I've had, I really do attract great people and I push them, but they are there for me in ways I can't even begin to describe. And when I look at the letters I get or the emails, like all the times people are like really nasty to me, I just pull up one of those. I got one from a woman who used to work at EDC and now lives in Barcelona. And like, I was actually crying. It was such a beautiful email saying how I you know, inspired her to go do this work in Barcelona. And she couldn't believe that I remembered that, you know, when she had her baby to send her a blanket. I mean, to me, that's like basic stuff, like being a human and it pays off in multiples. So we are going to introduce a new game. And for this one, we're going back to the 90s with Alicia Explains It All. No, this isn't a 90s Nickelodeon teenage sitcom reboot where I learned to never underestimate the power of a headband. This is a reboot of our listeners' favorite game, This or That. Okay, so we are going to provide you with two options and you pick one. So West Side or East Side? West Side. Spanx or athletic leggings? Spanx. Pushy or persistent? Persistent. Wine or martini? Pandemic martini. (laughs) Okay, last one. New York City Ferry or women, NYC? Women captains on boats. (laughs) Okay, and that concludes the final game of Alicia Explains It All. I want to thank the Deputy Mayor, Alicia Glenn, for joining us today. Alicia, if it's not clear by my questions, uh, I'll make it clear now, is someone who I not only think is one of the smartest people I've ever worked with, I also think she's one of the great public servants of our time. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us. It was really a terrific pleasure. Thank you. That's high praise. (laughs) Go back to the office. I want to thank our guest, former Deputy Mayor Alicia Glenn, for joining us on City Hall Pass. We hope you enjoyed this conversation, and we look forward to talking to you soon on another episode of City Hall Pass. This podcast is brought to you by the Office of the Council to the Mayor of New York City. 